0: Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me Daniel and you
1: Brother Thomas Therese comma OP
0: Very good to have you all back with us our listeners and great to see you again Brother Thomas Good to see you too How has your two weeks been? It's been two weeks since our last episode
1: Yeah it's been all right I mean we I had a really difficult essay on a theologian called Henri de Lubac so I really needed to to rest my brain (laughs) but I I was lucky enough actually to see you in person in the flesh we went to this place oh I can't remember where it was now it was an arboretum Batsford isn't it Batsford 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 Arboretum it's in the Cotswolds And, and we saw uh Prue Leith from the Bake Off giving uh an interview for channel 4 on gardens so <laughs> look out for that we're not being paid product placement or anything like that we went there with our friend amelia who is yeah in good spirits It was good to see you it's good to see you both actually it's um been too long the last time i saw you was at my solemn vows in august it's good to see you both
0: so this week our subject is the good news well, this subject came about because within church circles, you often hear this term, the good news. We need to preach the good news. But what do we mean by the good news? So I thought we, it would be good to spend this episode talking about that. So, Brother Thomas, how would you summarise in a nutshell? What is the good news?
1: Oh, my Lord. Well, there is there are so many different ways that you can articulate the good news i i have to admit i sort of laying my cards on the table i always found the term a little bit cringy when i was growing up when people were talking about the good news it was it was a term i i liked using the word gospel but i felt uncomfortable talking about the good news but actually it means exactly the same thing the good news quite simply is the gospel it's what jesus preached but more than that it's who jesus is because jesus points to himself he he preaches his own identity And yeah, there's no just sort of one. I mean, there are many sort of one liners, pithy phrases that we could use to summarize to summarize what the good news is. But all of them are going to leave something out. Right. I suppose one one way to phrase it, which I suppose is probably a bit wordier than most, would be to say that the good news is that from the abundance of God's love, he's created you, chosen you for friendship with himself from all eternity, freeing you from sin and death. From being closed in on yourself by his gift through the ministry of the church, so that your joy may be complete if you accept his love. That's something that I think is obviously there's so much in there. How do you sort of unpack it all? There's all sorts of different different ways to phrase it, you know. The good news is that God loves us, he wants us to be happy, and because he wants us to be happy, he works to unite us to himself. But yes, we have to accept that love. We have a role to play. Our freedom and God's freedom you don't have to see them as conflicting competing realities God can save you in a way that doesn't do vi- in fact uh, well I, what I should say is God does save you not in a way that does violence to your nature as a human being he created you with free will and when he saves you he saves you in a way that keeps your freedom intact and this then means that you, you can make a very serious choice to accept that love or to reject that love and to, yeah, to, to be with him for all eternity or not to be with him for all eternity. Uh, of course, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love one another as I have loved you. You know, so it's, there's, a, there's a very real sort of impetus put on the decisions of each and every one of us to accept that love freely given by God or to reject that love freely given by God and how we determine what that is well we have to look at the at the Gospels we have to look to the magisterium and the teaching of the church which Christ has given us that living authority to be able to understand Jesus's message and what we must do to inherit eternal life and to be fulfilled not only in a natural way but in a supernatural way, to be filled by union with the divine. What, what would you say?
0: I mean, I think you, you've covered nearly everything <laughs> that I wanted to, to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think you're right in that it can be unpacked. There, there's a, a phrase which was used a lot in the early church, a uh, sort of a Turner phrase, which we, we see quite often in the church fathers. And it says that God became man in order that man might become God. And that phrase you, you see popping up quite often and sometimes it's phrased in that in order for us to become partakers in the divine life, uh, you know, taking what Peter says there. And I think that is actually a really good way of summarizing what the, the good news is. It's interesting that you mentioned that you heard the good news quite often growing up, that term, but, you know, I never never heard that until university.
1: Mm, I, it's funny, I only ever really heard it from usually protestant ministers or people who i don't know like youth chaplains and things like that i used to but i used to find youth ministry and things actually very patronizing if i'm if if i'm honest i think there are youth ministers do a lot of good work and you know i'm not knocking it at all (laughs) you know and i also know how hard it is having been engaged in that sort of ministry as well um, but i find that sometimes it can be done in a very patronizing way and that to me was just an, another i mean wrongly i wrongly felt that way but there were other things that sort of that went with it you know yeah i sort of <laughs> felt a, a little bit sort of patronized by by the term and yeah it's not that i heard it all the time most of the time i had i had the word gospel
0: mm. yeah, it's, inter- it's interesting yeah i i wouldn't say that i heard that term very often at all uh, but even the term itself sheds light on, uh, well, sorry, the term where it comes from sheds light on another f- facet of the good news, if you like, because the term means, um, well, sorry, it comes from the Greek word, which is euangelion, which means glad tidings. And you see that Paul often uses this word euangelion, meaning glad tidings. And it, it's, I mean, it's very charismatic, it's very preach and style, but it, you know he would say uh, you know you have heard it said that caesar is lord you know kaiser Kyrios" in the greek but actually what paul goes on saying is you no know, jesus kirios jesus is lord you know the good news is that jesus has defeated death and and this term euangelium would be used as a militaristic term you know when a battle has been won when a war has been won the there would be this proclamation so Kerygma, there would be this proclamation that Caesar uh, had won the war. So, brilliant news for the empire. But then Paul goes around saying, no, actually, the the true good news is that Jesus has won this decisive victory. You know, it's now time to join his army, if you like, or it's now time to join his empire, his kingdom, which is wholly different to uh, to what Caesar's, uh, kingdom is, you know, Caesar's kingdom is marked by uh, war and by persecution of others and by victory through the sword, whereas Jesus's victory comes through self abasing death on the cross, in order to defeat death and sin. So I think even the word itself and its roots shed light on what the good news really is. Absolutely,
1: I, I think you've hit you've hit on something there when you're talking about the reign of the Kaiser and the reign of Christ the good news is that you can be an heir to the kingdom of God by being Jesus's brother or sister through baptism and the sacraments and the life of the church and things you know that the kingdom of God is at hand the reign of God is now reigning in the hearts of uh, Christian Christian men and women uh and it, there's something else that you said where you contrasted what the kingdom of Uh, Caesar looks like compared to the kingdom of Christ which reminded me actually of um, uh, the Magnificat in Luke's gospel that the Lord casts the mighty from their thrones and raises the lowly he scatters the proud in the imagination of their heart this again is the kingdom of God that the mighty are cast from their thrones the humble are lifted up it's humility which characterizes this kingdom it's not the 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 sort of The accumulation of honor or riches, you know, uh, we sang an antiphon this evening at at, um, Vespers, where your treasure is, there also is your heart. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, because where your treasure is, there also is your heart. So how do we build those spiritual treasures that uh, we reap in the in, in the kingdom of god as it were we build we build those things by fidelity to the lord by love of god by love of neighbor by keeping his commandments by not being dominated by the pursuit of honor or wealth or station or standing all of these things are at the service of a higher goal you know i i often talk to people uh, at the university who are very, you know, into and focused on their degree, and their degree is a good thing. But I also try to remind them, what is this in service of? This is in the service of building up the kingdom of God, and, you know, those letters after your name don't mean anything if you don't have those letters in front of your name at the end of time. S-T, saint. If you don't become a saint uh, by the end of your life, then you've wasted your life. Sorry, but it's true.
0: (laughs) Do you say it in your typically sassy fashion?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's my uh, it's my Liverpudlian roots. Uh, we we could be a bit blunt when we when we want to be. But, yeah, you know, humility is the is the cornerstone, really, to this to this spiritual life uh, without humility. I mean, what have you got? You know, Fulton Sheen used to say uh, pride doesn't come before the fall. Pride is the fall. And, it, and, you know, it's so true. You see it often and often again today, um, that pursuit of honor Uh, the pursuit of riches um, rather than laying up treasure for heaven
0: yeah i i I think i would describe sin as being like a turning away from god lacking trust in god because you know the catechism says that with the original sin adam and eve let their trust in their father die in their hearts so i think when you pursue those things that you've just said you know fame honor Reputation, material goods, whatever they are, you're choosing to trust that they will make you happy or you're choosing to put your trust in those things instead of in God. so you turn away from God
1: and it's not that those things are bad you know they bring a certain they bring a certain natural beatitude, but there's a higher order of happiness, which is true and lasting happiness, as I often call it, this sort of what we call supernatural beatitude or supernatural happiness which comes from god alone and this is the reason why we exist
0: yeah well we were created for a relationship with god so th- these things turn us away from god and i suppose that the key thing there is to, s- is to say that even though we turn away from god god has a plan to save us and that plan is jesus christ you know it all comes back to Absolutely. to jesus so jesus came to win us back and that's you know a really important thing he came and he defeated our biggest enemies which are sin and death and those things which separate us from God can be described as as sin and he brings us uh, this invitation to be in communion with God uh, so that we can have eternal life of him you know eternal relationship eternal beatitude with him but ultimately that Invi- it's an invitation. It's not forced upon us. It's a it's a free gift. I think you were telling me something about grace. That that's what grace means: free gift, unmerited gift,
1: free undeserved, unmerited. Yeah.
0: So we we can't save ourselves. You know, I I noticed with you know people that I interact with, um, they will try lots of different things, and then you know they realize actually these different things they don't save me, or they don't satisfy me. They don't free me from Mm -hmm. they don't free me completely and you know that's because we're made to be in relationship with god we're made for beatitude, and that's not to say that those other things aren't bad but they're never going to completely do the job it you know it's god at the end of the day that that saves us and he unrelentingly comes after us and invites us to to that relationship with him
1: yeah it's interesting that you say that you know people will very often pursue things like wealth and stuff and then realize that it won't make them happy a lot of the time i say a lot of the time sometimes sometimes people will give up all of their wealth and then become a religious like me where they'll take about poverty and give everything up there's this great uh, video on youtube that i direct people to um the dominican sisters of mary mother of the eucharist on oprah If you just Google or YouTube Oprah nuns, they'll come up. (laughs) And one of the sisters on there, she had it all. She had a high flying career. She had a lot of money. Um, And she she turns to Oprah during one of the ad breaks and says, oh, they're such and such and names this particular brand of shoe. And Oprah was shocked that she knew what sort of shoe this was. And she said, you want to know how I know? I know because I used to own pairs of those shoes. You know, and so she knew how expensive they were and she gave all of those things up um, to be a religious sister. There's something else that you touched on, which I, I think is is absolutely key to the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for all sinners to reconcile them to the father. You know, God desires that all souls should be saved. You find this in 1 Timothy and it's also Catholic belief that Jesus Christ died for all sinners to reconcile them to the Father. Now, we do have to, we have to participate in that grace, as you, as you said, you know. It's not just that, it's not that God sort of saves you in spite of yourself. No, he, this is also another part of the good news, that he wants you to participate in your mission. And he wants you to participate, sorry, to participate in his mission. He wants you to participate in in your salvation uh that's one of the beautiful the beautiful things about the good news in catholicism is that actually there is a role that you play it's not just something done to you it's something that's done with you under god's providence yes but god's providence and god's action doesn't compromise your freedom he moves you to himself in a way that we can properly say that the act of salvation or our justification as we might say, is something which is attributable to the grace and the goodness of God. Uh, And underneath that is providence. Our freedom participates in that. We freely choose to respond to him and and to move towards him.
0: That reminds me of a quote by St. Augustine. Uh, It's in the Catechism, but he says that God created us without us, but he did not will to save us without us. The point is that God invites us to participate in our salvation. He invites us to say yes to the good news and to be in, in relationship with God.
1: And we, you know, how, how is it we accept that invitation? We repent from our sins. We turn towards the Lord. We believe in him. We're baptized and we participate in, in the life of his mystical body, the church. Yeah. And the, the the thing is, you know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of listeners who'll be think, listening to this and thinking, oh, well, you know, it's easier said than done. You know, any any priest who's worth this salt will be happy to encourage you and to uh, be happy to meet with you and, and chat with you to try and encourage you and help you along this journey, whichever stage, you know, you're at, you know, and whatever it is your, your issues are. This is what pastors are for. This is what these shepherds are for. They're there to help you to get to heaven and at the end of the day why is it that god became man anyway he came he became man to have mercy on sinners to seek us out to seek out the the lost souls you know i came not to save the righteous i came to save i came to to the sinner you know the the those who are well have no need of a physician only those who are sick and in the first letter of john of course we read that all of us have fallen short to the glory of god all of us are sinners. And if we say that we're not sinners, then we make God to be a liar. Right. But by his grace, we we can follow in his footsteps and be where he is. You know, the feast, the big feast is coming up on. Is it? No, it's not tomorrow. It's Thursday. <laughs> so it will probably already have happened by the time this podcast goes up. But we celebrate the ascension. And what we believe is where Christ goes we too will follow right where the head of the of the church goes the head of the body goes the body will follow but we have to stay grafted on to christ who is the true vine
0: yeah i I suppose one of the uh, comforting things that we can mention is that this is god's move you know it's not our pursuit of god it's god's pursuit for us you know god is in search for us and he reveals himself to us he reveals his love to us and the fact that he wants to save us from uh, those things which take us away from him you know that have you ever heard of this uh, poem by francis thompson called the hound of heaven no i haven't oh okay francis thompson a jesuit mm, i don't know <laughs> anyway i'm not sure <laughs> but the poem is called the Hound of heaven and it's uh, it, it it's basically it says that you know god is the hound and he comes after us he chases us And, you know, it might sound a bit scary there, but there is a lot of comfort behind that in that, you know, whatever we do, God comes after us with that invitation to relationship with Him. So there's nothing we can do that will push God away so far that uh, He he will not extend His invitation to us. Mm. And I think that, you know, that's a great, you know, what a great comfort for us that God's invitation is always there to come back to him. You know, whatever we've done, whatever we've experienced in our life, God's invitation is still there.
1: Absolutely. And you know, this is why, this is why he came. You're, you remember when Jesus goes into the temple and he pulls out the, the scroll and he reads the scroll in the midst of all the, the teachers and the elders of the temple. It says he reads out a uh, passage from Isaiah, doesn't he? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor He sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. You know, this is exactly why this is why he comes. And another facet of the good news is that by virtue of our baptism and our confirmation, every Christian can say the same thing. This is something St. John Paul II says in a document he wrote called christopher deus laici which is a document about christ's faithful the, the lay faithful every christian every baptized christian can say the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim release the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the lord's favor This is something, you know, one of the things that I might do actually after this podcast is just write that out. You know, and one of the things I've got into lately is watercolor. So maybe I'll make a nice watercolor or something and uh, stick it above my bed to remind me of my mission as one of Christ's faithful. My mission is to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And why? Because he's given me his Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. How beautiful is that? You know, the the, the dignity of, of the Christian person and the mission that we that we are called to fulfill, which is a participation in Christ's own life, Christ's own mission. That's the good news. We participate in God's own inner life here and now on earth
0: yeah and in the way that you have been transformed by god you go out to share that good news that you have been transformed you've been free from sin you know like we can talk about our own lives as well like uh, me myself and, and you we we in our relationships with god have been freed from from sin and are being freed you know over the course mm. of our lives it doesn't just stop there it, it continues yeah.
1: that's it it's both an event and a process that's a good thing it's it is an event, but it's also a process that will be ongoing for the rest of your life. Becoming a saint is a lifelong exercise. It's uh, I certainly know from my own life, and anybody who knows me well knows that it's going to take me a very long time to uh, to achieve um, to achieve sanctity. <laughs> yeah, and
0: only by God's grace. Yeah, you know, at the beginning of this episode, you mentioned that uh, God doesn't take anything away in terms of like your human existence so he doesn't mm. it's, it's not like you lose anything of yourself and uh, and yeah. that reminded me of a, a quote i have written down here by pope benedict the 16th so he says if we let christ into our lives we lose nothing absolutely nothing of what makes life free beautiful and great he takes mm. nothing away so jesus takes nothing away and he gives you everything you know, what, I, mm. I don't know what a wonderful thing, actually, to remember that, you know, you were created, as St. Augustine says, you were created by God. He knows what makes what makes you happy. So you lose nothing mm. of, of that, nothing of yourself, nothing of who you were created to be by turning in and, and accepting God and his life and becoming a partaker in his life. You lose nothing of that.
1: Absolutely. That, that actually reminds me of... A couple of quotes from John Paul II one where he talks about freedom and he says you know freedom is choosing the good because when you don't choose the good and you choose the bad um, you are to some extent making yourself like a a slave to to something else whereas when you choose the good you are truly liberated and there's something else that he says as well where um, he says that it's Jesus Christ you seek when you seek happiness that's something he says at, at wild youth day both of those things i think uh relate very well to what you just said there that y- this life is not um it do- it's not relinquishing freedom uh it's not relinquishing happiness it's finding it it's finding it and clinging to it and running at it with everything
0: that you've got yeah so true you know pope benedict also says only in this friendship so you talk about friendship with, with- with jesus with christ only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed oh doesn't it just spark you up you're like yeah i want to go out and share this with you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm share this with other people. yeah but I, I suppose the the thing there is that uh, at the start of that quote is if we let christ into our lives so it, it all comes down to that invitation you know that passage in revelation that says that jesus comes to the door and he, he so he he's talking to us he says listen i am standing at the door knocking if you hear my voice and open the door i will come into you and eat with you and you with me mm-hmm. so that communion of life that participation in his life only comes about if we say yes to him if we open that door and that there's often um, well, there's lots of paintings that depict that particular scene from from revelation and you'll notice that as Jesus is knocking on the door from, from the outside, there's no doorknob on the outside. There's no handle to the door. So Jesus can't, it's like Jesus mm. can't open that. He is waiting you for open you. It from the inside. Open. Yeah, you open it from the inside. So Jesus comes and stands, knocks at the door and respects our freedom so much for us to make the choice. That invitation is extended to us and we're given that choice.
1: And something that you said actually really struck me is it, it sounded it very Eucharistic that he will come in and he will eat with us. You know, uh, it reminds me of uh, a quote from one of the early church fathers. We consume the body of Christ to become the body of Christ. You know, what is more natural than to share your life with your like? This is one of the things that Aquinas says about friendship, that friends share their lives with each other their inner lives with each other. And this is this is a, a fantastic image of that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You can freely welcome me in. We can dine together, you know, we can sup together. But there's that Eucharistic imagery there.
0: I was going to say, sometimes that word is sup. You know, it reminds you of the Last Supper. You know, going back to that intimate moment at the Last Supper where Jesus eats with his closest, with his friends, before he goes out to carry out the, the the act that saves us you know
1: and this this is really important that the eucharist is very much connected to the crucifixion and so is right at the heart of the good news the that and that they, the eucharist is also uh, a way in which we are united with god you know it's not just symbolizing a, a an eschatological sorry um it's not just symbolizing a reality at the end of time Uh, It's a union with God that's profound here and now, you know, and you've just reminded me actually of one of my favorite stories of St. Therese of Lisieux, where when she's trying to learn how she's called to love her sisters in the convent, especially the sisters who she doesn't get on very well with, you know, there's one passage that sticks out, which is, you know, uh, even the uh, Gentiles and the pagans love people who love them. What profit is there in that? It's about loving your enemies, right? So she's like, well, how do I love the people who I don't get on with? Well, I'm called to love them as Christ loves them. And how does Christ love us? He says to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you, right? So I'm a disciple of Christ. You're a disciple of Christ. All Christians are disciples of Christ. St. Therese of Lisieux is a disciple of Christ. And so all of us have to love one another as he has loved us. Then she says. Well how has he loved us? And she returns to the same part of scripture. What does it say? I call you no longer servants. I call you friends. The love with which Christ loves us. Is the love of friendship. It's a unifying love. And if you. I, I, one of the most beautiful things to read. Read um, St. Aylward of Riveau on spiritual friendship if you google on spiritual friendship then it should be one of the first things that that, that comes up you can probably find pdfs and things online it's one of the beut- most beautiful descriptions of friendship and maybe if you have a story of a soul by saint therese of lisieux uh, find you know read that again and find those bits where she's talking about the love with which she is called to show all people and Thomas Aquinas again on friendship, very very beautiful things. But yeah, that how does Christ love us? So Christ says, "Love one another as I have loved you." A new commandment I give unto you: Love one another as I have loved you. Well, how has He loved us? I call you no longer servants; I call you friends. The love with which we're called to love each other is the love of friendship. And Teresa of Lisieux also answers an objection to this because she says, you know. I've often heard it said, you know, well, I can't be friends with everybody, Thomas. You know, I don't have a natural I don't have a natural affection for for absolutely everybody. But Therese of Lisieux was also talking about someone who she didn't have a natural affection for. And Therese was of the opinion that the disciples themselves didn't have a lot of natural gifts and qualities that uh, Jesus would Jesus would be attracted to. Therese of Lisieux answers an objection to this, you know, that God would not command the impossible. So it is possible because he doesn't command the impossible. And let's remember, Teresa of Lisieux is talking about people who she doesn't have a natural affection for
0: either. Okay, so we'll finish up our episode there. But I suppose, in a nutshell, the good news is God became one of us, that we might become participants in his life. So remember that. Uh, remember that an invitation is extended to, to us uh, for the good news and remember, that we're all called as baptized Christians to go out and share that good news with other people. Any uh, last remarks?
1: Oh, well, um, what greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends? Mm. How's that? So who, who said that? <laughs> Through the Gospel of John. Did Jesus <laughs> say it? Uh, it's in the Gospel. What greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends?
0: And he does. Jesus lays down his life for us in order that we may have eternal life with him. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. God bless.